small beans, y'all. Let's get it. cabbies what's up i'm your host dj with a quick little ditty called the cab short that we fin to do uh along with uh my brother today uh dan warren you guys uh know him quite well from the community um and you know obviously a lot of you guys saw that dan the fifth pillar of emphasis uh took himself off to uh dc to uh to watch the hearings and to take part, we're going to ask him why he did that, and then we're going to ask him what he learned, and then we might even talk a little bit of Bigfoot since I was at the Ocala Great Bigfoot Conference uh, yesterday. So you know, but this song kind of remind me. I, f- I figured I should play this song in honor of Dan. <laughs> Bone yeah. <laughs> Had to get some Almond Brothers in there, a little Dickie Bats for you. Because my man here, he rambled off from Tennessee over to um, over to uh, D.C. to take part in this thing. So without further ado, party people, put those hands together for my man Dan Warren. Hey, what's up, DJ? I'm, I'm glad you think it's Saturday, but I hate to break the news to you. It's Sunday, man. Oh my God! That means I gotta go You're to work day tomorrow. behind schedule. Yeah. All right, I'm a day behind schedule. Dan, keeping me honest. Guess what though? Uh, Julie, uh, uh, my my neighbor up there in Alabama, decided that she's gonna join us in the chat today to moderate. So, say hello to Julie. Uh, hi, hi, Julie. Hello, hello, Shaq Valet. I love that. <laughs> big way. I love it. So um, thank you very much for showing up, Jules. You certainly, I didn't expect you to, to jump in there today, but I know Dan and I appreciate that. And um, it's, always, it's always a treasure when you get to talk to Dan. Dan, is, I hope, I'll, I'll cut the music so that you, you don't hear it so loudly if you're still hearing it. Do you still hear it? No. That's faint, but it's there. Okay, it's still there. All right. Um, so anyway, um, Dan... Uh, so I called you the other day because I was very interested in the fact that you did go off to uh, D.C. And before I asked you, I asked you the first question, said, you know what? This should be a cab short because people should hear because people want to hear from you more so than they want to hear from me. So, uh, Dan, why did you go to D.C.? So, as you guys all know, there was a congressional hearing that occurred in D.C. And um, several years ago, I made the commitment to stop being a passive consumer of UFO related information and news. And I wanted to start to get involved. And that's why I'm the fifth pillar of emphasis, because that fifth pillar of emphasis, according to Lou Elizondo, is engaging the masses. It's something that Lou couldn't do by himself. The, the, we all can play a part in engaging with the masses. So that's why I make the types of videos that I make where they're, more easily consumable by the general public and they're also just something that can i can broadcast on different platforms that um like a podcast or a documentary film aren't 
aren't going to be seen on TikTok uh, to, to that audience. Uh, Twitter isn't going to see a documentary on Twitter. You're going to have to go to a different platform for that. So I made the uh, commitment to start getting involved and do what I can to engage with the masses. So I started making these little videos. So that was my, my first step to, to playing a part in what's going on right now. And so I've been looking for an opportunity since then um, to step it up. And that's more or less what the Washington hearings provided for me was the opportunity to take that next step in my evolution and my journey to to do something instead of just being instead of just reporting on the news that's being made is to participate in the news that's being made. And I'm, I'm always going to tell people I make all my videos with my phone and a microphone so anybody can do what I'm doing. I'm just a regular guy. I can drive a car. I can rent a hotel and I can go to a congressional hearing on UFOs and you can too. So I'm I'm looking to get more engaged with what's going on and document the process along the way so that other people can feel more comfortable if they decide to take that next step and get involved and start to participate directly with what's going on and become part of the history that's unfolding in front of us instead of just passively watching it, which isn't, there's nothing to nothing bad about that. That's what I did for a long time. But I know there's some people out there that want to take an active role in what's going on. And this is the kind of thing that presented itself that it's not going to present itself very much. Like this is a rare opportunity. So I, I decided to jump on it. And in the future, I hope more people decide to jump on along with me. So that's what sent me to Washington was to witness history firsthand being made. Why is this important? In, uh, this topic important to you? Um, I am a big fan of human history and what has been accomplished by our forefathers and what is going to be accomplished by our forefathers. And when I look at this phenomenon, it's one of the situations where I don't think it's ever going to be repeatable. If, if disclosure occurs, we're going to witness something that humanity's never seen before and never will experience again after that. So this is going to be one of those defining moments in our generation and our in humanity as a whole that is what interests me. I, I, I didn't get to see the pyramids get built. I didn't get to see man walk on the moon. Maybe I'll get to see that we aren't alone in the universe. And that's why this is important to me. And I also want to provide a rational, calm, non-dramatic approach to communicating this type of information to other people because there's a lot of um, noise out there and it's hard to sort through it. So I'm, I'm trying to provide, I'm going to call it a sane uh, perspective on what's going on and to just yeah. help people uh, absorb the information in a non-overwhelming manner uh, is, is the goal. So that's what's, that's what's important to me. Um, I think that there is something about the phenomena that is directly tied to our history and it's going to be directly tied to our future as well. So that's another reason why I'm interested in it. And I'm hopeful that we get to see something that's going to be game changing. Um, I want to be part of history uh, and, and participate in it. Hold on one second. Okay, first, sorry. No, that's, uh, you know, we appreciate real life. Uh, that's what we're living here. And um, dogs barking and kids saying, hey, dad, and whatever is all good. She and got boba tea. She had to come in here and tell me that she got boba tea. <laughs> our, oh, man, that sounds good. Hopefully you got one for dad, too. Oh, no, um, I'm on my own, man. 
I'm buying or I'm not eating. <laughs> um, you're one of the first things I noticed about you when the first time we had you on is that you had some takes and some analysis that were different than what anybody else had. And for those of you out there, um, you know that you know that Dan is you know well spoken, and you kind of know that he's well read um, because he's on his game when he does these he, these updates, and he's already consumed the information and analyzed it, and then he'll contextualize it for you. What you may not know is that he's one of the brilliant theorists uh, in this space. That's what I thought the first time we ever had you on. I I don't know if you remember that. But that was my parting thought to you afterward. And I'm more positive of that even today. And so, yeah, you are um, taking part and you are a big part. So I, I would ask you regarding that disclosure that you seek is what do you think will be the result among the majority of the American populace if that happens in some measure? Because you could argue it's already happened, but I think I, I you're talking about more. So yeah, yeah, I, I don't think it's happened to where it's a known. It's uh, across the board that everybody's on the same sheet of music. But of course, not everybody's on the same sheet of music, whether or not the Earth is spherical or flat. So we got all, we're always going to have people that don't believe what is commonly known and accepted. Um, what I think is going to happen after we'll call it the big D disclosure occurs mm -hmm. is a two-step process. One, I think it will bring people together. I think it will give us that everybody's going to take a big deep breath and, and kind of lean back and realize that we're not alone. And by the way, we are all one race. Like they don't distinguish between our, anything about us. We're all one flavor to that non human intelligence. Right. But, humanity has a penchant for screwing stuff up. So I also think that's going to be um, a phase where we come together, but then someone's going to do what humans do and take advantage of it or use it for personal gain. And it's going to split people apart. We're going to figure out a way to screw it up. We're really good at doing that. So I think it's going to have two different swings, but overall I think the pendulum is going to be, more on the side of uniting humanity than dividing humanity. I think we'll always have that in the back of our mind that we're all one species. So is that is that the most important part of disclosure for you, or is that just one among several? It's one of several. Um, I, I, I like the thought of not having a defined cage that, to live on and with, mm -hmm. if we look at earth i've heard a philosophy or a, a statement where a guy says if you take a mouse and put him in a cage he's going to look all over and try to figure out where to get out of that cage if you put him out take him out of the cage put him in a room he's going to climb all over that room and try to figure out a way out if you take him to a national park and you let him loose he's just going to live his life he's not going to look any further because he's happy he's content he doesn't need to go any further I feel like humanity as a species has gone from 
small dwellings to larger cities to countries to now we're a global civilization so we're now entering this next phase where spacex is trying to get us out off off the planet so we're moving in that direction and to me if we could get a helping hand or we could at least see that it's been done elsewhere that's just going to make us more motivated to be able to do that for our own species and we'll be able to survive uh, uh a lot longer than we will if we just stay on the earth and uh, diversify our land, I guess you could say. I've never heard that analogy used. So therein lies uh, the answer to those of you who are wondering, why did we have Dan on for this cab short today? That's why, because <laughs> I'd never heard it put that way. And now I'm going to think about that. Think about the mouse analogy and humanity and what that might look like, because Dan, nor any other philosopher for that matter, or or big thinker, Elizondo or whomever, uh, Tom DeLong, none of them are here to explain it to you and tell you this is how it's going to be. But they're just there to present some ideas for you to, to provoke some thought and maybe shift your ideas or focus or just focus your ideas toward something that maybe you hadn't thought of. So. I also um, think that it's going to make a big difference in our perspe our perception of time. Uh, we're very one generation, 70 years, a lifespan focused on what takes place. If we encounter another civilization that's a million years beyond ours, or it, maybe they just live longer than us, I think it will change the way that we view time uh, as we go forward. So I think that's another game changer that would come about as part of disclosure. I, I think time is, as we have constructed it, is extremely necessary and helpful and valuable. But I think it would be interesting to look at the world and the earth less in the, in, I want to extract as much as I can while I'm here to, how can I preserve what's here for um, children, grandchildren, etc., and maybe make some choices that would further that rather than saying, ah, it doesn't matter what we do. It's just going to be whatever it's going to be. So it's yeah. constantly changing. It's like, yeah, that's the easy way out to say I'm not going to do anything. But usually the easy way is probably not the answer. So anyway. the, the right way and the hard way are a lot of times the same way. Yeah. Yeah, that's whether you're training for something or whatever. Yeah, uh, like going to school like you did to become an engineer. Um, so, Dan, uh, tell me about D.C. and your impressions. So it was, uh, like I said, it was a fun little adventure, a nice three-day getaway, a lot of driving for a short amount of time, unfortunately. I don't know how truck drivers can do it. So I, my hat's off to those guys because me that too. is not not <laughs> for me. Um but it was fun to go do. I haven't been to D.C. since I was in the seventh grade. So that was coming up on about 30 years ago. So it, it's changed. Man, I'm telling you, it's a lot safer and more family friendly now than it was when I went up there. From my mm -hmm. memory, like I would I'm ha I'll happily bring my kids up there next time. But awesome. uh, I had never gone to a congressional hearing. I never knew that you could actually go to them, to be honest with you. Until I heard Tim Burchett say that he wasn't allowed in the last one as a so he 
at that point, it cued me in like, well, you can just show up and they'll put you in there if, if you need to go. Um, so I thought, what a good opportunity to do it. So I decided to go up there and got up there at the crack of dawn so I could be one of the first people in line to get in because it does have limited seating. As you saw from the meeting, it wasn't that big of a room. I was mm -hmm. shocked that there weren't more people that actually went to it. But it was a good experience to have because I'm able to communicate with these people that we talk about, that we analyze firsthand. I got to speak directly with Senator Gillibrand and I know. give her so cool. my contact information. So I'm hoping wow. that like this is this is a good networking opportunity for me to have further interactions with her, her office, her staffers, or maybe someone else that she thinks that would be beneficial for them to talk to me or me to be able to talk to them because mm -hmm. what I said to her at the conclusion of the meeting was I just I'm a citizen journalist and I want you to be able to speak directly to my audience to the people that are completely obsessed with this directly so mm -hmm. that's what I'm hoping I could eventually establish as a, a conduit from someone in Washington someone in the know to everybody that's watching this right now so that's one of my goals but as far as the meeting itself goes the hearing it, it i didn't have high expectations and i was frustrated by the lack of senators that attended you saw how many people were there or how many seats yes. were there how many name plates were there but there weren't that many butts in the seat so that was a little discouraging um but i i i focused on what were the big things that he said and i didn't hear a lot of it in real time but since then, I've I've had a chance to listen to it again, and I've actually listened to the Micah Hanks program and his coverage of it, which I would recommend everyone go, everyone oh. that's down on it, go listen to that. And he points out some really good tidbits of information that him and the debrief team talked about that gives you hope, that makes you go, yeah, yeah we actually do have a lot more now than we did before the meeting. We've learned a little bit about shapes that was redacted before. We We have another video of something that they admit that is unresolved that they haven't been able to figure out. We didn't have that before. So okay. we did, there was a, a few wins that came out of it that I, I didn't focus on those at the time. Cause I was looking for the big, uh, the big payoff type of information that didn't come. Sure. But uh, one of the, one of the big things that I heard at the time was when he brought up not having title 50 authority, which is basically how you get access to a large swath of the information and the intelligence side of the house. Yep. We've heard John Ramirez so he's talk operating, about Title 50. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's got his hands tied on that side of the house. So I, and for him to have 650 unresolved or what is, what does he call them? Uh, he has 650 cases that he's tracking from the 350 or so that was reported in January. That's a major jump in unknowns. Imagine awesome. if you get <laughs> access to everything, that's going to be even a bigger jump. So that's one thing I'm optimistic for is that everybody has been put on notice now at this hearing that he's not getting cooperation because of this Title 50 authority. And I also think that there is a huge chasm between the DOD, the IC, and the elected officials that represent us. And arrows stuck in the middle. They don't want yes. to get they don't want to disappoint the elected officials, but they're not being provided all the tools they need by their military industrial complex counterparts to get answers for the elected officials. <laughs> Excuse me. I um 
<clears throat> I I agree with you. Um, I agree with you on that. I think there is information that is with other organizations, like uh, John said, Title Fifty Authority. Um, that that is not like Title Ten, which is you know DOD. So, um, which I, I still don't think that they're getting all the Air Force information. All like just I don't think they've <laughs> I, opened I, up I, the the hard drives to Arrow even on the DOD side. Yeah, I <clears throat> yeah, and that, that was kind of like my takeaway from reading the the NDAA. I, I I saw what was said. I saw a couple of gaps in there. I don't remember which ones I de- identified at the time. I think it was one I was on. Um, with a UFO thinker, Frank, I was on his show and we did a round table. Um, he's our new cat, one of our new cabbies. And, um, I did see a couple gaps in there and I also saw that there still needs to be somebody that, that, that forwards that. I know what we're supposed to do to forward that information directly to arrow. But then if, you know, I know what we're supposed to do. And then I know what might, what may or may not actually be happening. Basically what you just said. Um, I think there is a cause for, I only have uh, one real source that I can reach out to that has information and it sounds like um, there are some some cracks and that there may be uh, some good things happening in the near future as far as that that goes. Um, To get to this point here, we needed... Christopher Mellon, we needed Lou Elizondo, we needed Dave Fravor, Alex Dietrich, um, we needed Chad Underwood, Ryan Graves, all all those guys um, to get to this point because then they couldn't, they had to move from the position of there's nothing to see here because those guys said, well, there is something to see here. So to take that next step, there needs to be uh, a a fairly significant uh, event or maybe somebody that that comes forward in order to to uh once again get to what you were alluding to at the beginning yeah and they've said they've had 24 whistleblowers come forward so far so i'm interested to see if we ever learn any of the contents of those conversations or who they are um or what comes of those and and how many they have in the course of a year because i feel like they're going to get flooded uh they even asked for the congressmen to prioritize who they send to them so make sure i guess the most credible sources come first before they start talking to everybody under the sun so it'd be interesting to see who's feeding them uh eyewitnesses and whistleblowers you know i have i have to dig in and find out if those if any of those meetings have happened yet but that that could be a very significant um that could that'll could be very very significant because those people, if they don't, um, when you use the word term whistleblower, if those people aren't satisfied with what they get, they know that there are steps that they can take that would be an end run, if we were talking about a football play, around that that process. So um, without getting into too much, that, that would be significant. And I was looking for a reason why this would be, we really need this. And you've kind of provided a really good reason. So I thank you for opening my aperture on that. Um, do you want to go to um, 
to Bigfoot real quick, or is there something else that, that you would like to discuss relative to the hearings and the disclosure? Uh, one comment I'll make real quick is something sure. that I need to work on myself is that I need to be less critical of Kirkpatrick at the moment. I think we need to give him a little bit of uh, leeway to learn his role and, and figure out what he's doing and to and to collect his own thoughts and gather information. Um, I, I'm starting to try to view him more in the light of J. Allen Hynek, who started out as an extreme skeptic. And then over over time and over exposure to information and witnesses and uh, data that was collected, he he flipped at at some point. He flipped and became an advocate for it. So what we might see coming from Kirkpatrick right now might be early stages of Heineck. If we all truly have truly think there's something to this, and as long as he's truly doing his job and being straightforward with us and investigating this properly, which it sounds like he is, he'll eventually come around because of the data, because of the information that he sees to be the late stages Heineck, where he's an advocate for it. And and so we just need to give him time to evolve based on the information that he's gathered and he's uh, uh, analyzed. So I hope everyone else gives him a little bit of a, uh, more leeway. I love that. That that's what uh, Nathan refers to as charity, um, to be more charitable with people and see the best in them rather than uh, assuming the worst and uh, malintent. And so I think that that's really good that that you say that and you see that. And um, and with uh, Dr. Heineck, it I think if those blue book files are to be believed, then he saw things that he truly couldn't explain and was being asked to tell. Uh, the American people that that was not uh, not um, anomalous or not fantastic in any sort of way, and he knew that that wasn't true. So it would be um, it would be interesting if that happened with Dr. Kirkpatrick if if um, he sees that um, that maybe he's being asked to to do something similar. Um, because you can always find somebody that will do that, uh, that will tow that line. Because ultimately, when you sign on the dotted line to do one of these jobs with the government or with the military, that's what you're you're sign you know that's what you're signing up to do, to meet the and intent I, of a certain commander somewhere. And I also want to make sure that people realize that the what he's doing has value beyond just the ufo community it has value because of national security issues to identify things that are in our airspace that we don't currently recognize that could be taking advantage of an air domain uh, gap so that is valuable on its own and that might be the priority for him right now because all these government entities are looking at him and saying we don't need any more of these chinese habs flying over our airspace we need to get that resolved and then after you figure out how to make all those issues someone else's problem, then you can start focusing on the truly anomalous that's left over after you've been able to separate out all the, the benign foreign adversary type of information. Do you have a certain feeling about those purported um, uh, uh, objects that were shot down? I, their I mean, I'm gonna, I don't have any reason to believe they're anything but benign, um, mundane explanations. I, I, I think there's just egg on the face of the 
uh, administration for kind of going with a knee-jerk reaction, overreaction to the situation. Um, that's my honest uh, takeaway from it. But what Russ, Ross Coltart has said about the dead horse um, Alaska shoot down does pique my interest and I'd like to learn more about it. But hey, I, I don't have any information on it right now to go off of. So I'm just speculating at this point. So until proven otherwise, it's mundane and benign. I, I agree with that. I agree with your assessment of it because I think if it was of an extraordinary nature, it, it they wouldn't have been able to shoot it down. Uh, so, so that, that right in there tells you it was something prop terrestrial that more than likely it was something terrestrial that our, uh, weaponry and our air to air, uh, missiles were able to take down. Uh, and if well, it were well, something, keep in mind that I don't, I can't tell you that they shot them down. Like maybe they shot at them, but if there's no debris, if there's no video at this point, we don't even know if they shot them down or if they That's just shot too. at them. That's a, that's a good point too. That's a, that's actually a great point. We don't know because we don't know if they. Uh, we only know about the one, you know, uh, the one that was obviously proven to be. Um, so yeah, and that's I, that. And I think their response to the four or the three objects that were supposedly shot down is just a microchasm of their response and their reluctance to share information with the American people about anything that they can't claim control over, including the UAP that we all are interested in. So if they're that reluctant about some probably mundane balloons or craft or, or hobby things that are in the sky, imagine how reluctant they are to share any information with us about things that are truly anomalous. Well, I'm going to practice some charity myself, Dan, and I'll say that um, sharing giving um, an assessment of what that was, depending upon what it actually was. And characterizing that uh, is a giving information to a potential adversary that might have sent that. Uh, one of our near peers, which is obviously Russia or China. And so when you characterize it for the American people in earnest, then you've just characterized it for them and they can understand how you're processing that and how you reacted to it. So I would just caution you and anyone else out there without knowing, um, I would reserve a lot. I would practice charity in that regard because we don't want them to know what we think, what we have. And when I say what we have, I don't mean relative necessarily to UAP, but in terms of capabilities and and. And things like that. You want to give them as little information as possible. In light of, we just had an airman up there, brand new airman up there in the Massachusetts Air National Guard that just put that put a whole bunch of secrets out on the internet. Yeah. So, um, so that's an example, um, and that's a whole nother conversation in itself. But so I, I I practice charity there because I don't know, I don't know in terms of the administration, I don't know what they were told by the Joint Staff what advice they were given. Um, I'm, so I'm, I assume in those cases that the joint staff gave them the best advice that they had and they said, and they probably went with it because you would be in something like that for a member of a White House staff to say, hey, I don't think that's a good tactic or, or strategy against this particular threat. 
you would, I mean, you're going to be, that. then now you're in like Cuban Missile Crisis type of territory where he was being told to launch and, and Kennedy's staff advised him and they, and they didn't. So I would be very cautious with that. And that's what I've told civilians that have asked me, even teaching yoga, my yoga class asked me, and they said, what do you think about this? I, without having the information, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't know what they assessed it to be. What I mean, obviously, satellites probably had an amazing... If they can see a softball in Des Moines in somebody's driveway, they can obviously see what this is up in the air and make an assessment of it, right? So um, so I, without that information, I, I can't really offer criticism nor praise. Yeah. Just trust that they know what they're doing <laughs> so, as, as nick west would say it's a low information zone oh he is the original low information zone <laughs> actually so uh <laughs> all right dan um let's talk about um well we're about to wrap up here jules but i want to get uh, dan's take on um uh, bigfoot because dan was kind enough to provide me some information to get a hold of uh congressman Tim Burchett, and I started to draft a letter, and I said to some of our colleagues, and when I say that, Dan, I mean other people like us who are tracking people that I trust that are tracking this topic and are very thoughtful about this topic, like yourself. And I said, I said to them, "Hey, what do you think about about this? I'm I'm, I'm think drafting a a letter to Congressman Burchett's staff." about Bigfoot. And then I waited about, I didn't wait, but I, I sort of had an epiphany about 90 seconds later and said, Hey, wait a minute, maybe this is not a good idea for Bigfoot. Because if, if we were to create some sort of a movement, like what we have here about UFOs regarding Bigfoot, which I just went to a conference yesterday, there was 2000 people in attendance, Dan, about that. I mean, if you had a UFO conference with 2,000 people, people would be absolutely elated. <laughs> That'd be, oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of money to be made there. Um, and yet they don't have disclosure. And I'm thinking for Bigfoot, this is probably the best thing. But I'd like to get your take on that. What do you think? Well, I do think that there is um, a reason to kind of separate the two, to put a distinction between them because they're two different things um there might be some overlap there uh but if, if it could distract so there's a famous scene in close encounters of the third kind where they're talking about ufos at this meeting maybe it was a hearing i don't remember the exact context of the movie but they're talking about the sightings in the skies and then all of a sudden a guy stands up and says i saw bigfoot and da 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 and it really threw the credibility of that meeting under the table because well, all of a sudden you got all this, we'll call it woo, coming into the conversation about something that the military was investigating at the time. So it could be that just like um, Lou Elizondo has said in the past, if we rush everything, if we try to solve everything at once, Kirkpatrick even said, if we try to get an answer to everything that's occurred over the last 80 years right now, we're not going to be able to do it. So maybe we just need to, to wait on certain things and keep them separate and just ask for the bare basic information to get that determined to be a known um, before it, it's, you start delving into the other topics. But as far as, uh, go ahead. I'm, t I'm basically taking another tact though. I'm thinking 
let's just say that that there's some sort of White House press briefing and they come out and and it's being covered by all the major uh, news network, cable news and and local news networks. And they say uh, basically make an announcement that Bigfoot is real and that they inhabit um, 49 of 50 states in some measure or another. And there may be a few thousand of them, et cetera. I think that that could be extremely dangerous for that creature that people will then say, I want one of these Well, first of all, the whole science thing, they want to, obviously there are groups out there now that spend months out in the woods, the uh, project X and so forth, or um, excuse me, area X. Uh, I'm not going to name groups here. I'm not going to do that, but there are groups that are out there hunting them that spend weeks and, and no kidding months at a time deployed out in the woods trying to shoot and, and kill one and bring it in for science. And I, I believe that if that happens, that'll be the, end, the beginning of the end of that species because then a lot of people say, I want one of those heads on my wall. I want a rug in my house of that fur. You know, that's just that's what trophy hunting is. What's your, what's your take on that? Once again, humanity has a penchant for screwing everything up. So if if they do announce it, I think there will be uh, an inrush of people going into the woods. I can guarantee you there'll be a lot more deaths from people going into the woods unprepared and unable to take care of themselves. And the environment is going to consume them more so than than any Bigfoots that are going to get um, terminated as a result of their efforts. Um, I don't think that if a creature exists in the woods that is, is as stealthy as Bigfoot is, I don't think it's going to go extinct because humanity is all of a sudden focused on it. But I also think there's going to be severe restrictions. I mean, if, if it's an endangered species, imagine what the penalties will be if someone tries to do that. They'll probably put a stop to it. I, I would assume they would lock down some areas of the country just to provide a, a reserve for them and not let people in to, to basically give that land to them to do whatever it is they want um, and, and protect them. So I think that humanity will protect them uh, more so than harm them in the future. I just, I'm not sure that you could hem them into an area unless you're going to, I mean, are you going to fence in like a natural forest? And I mean, I'm not sure that you could fence them in the way that you could some animals that were quite easy. I don't think a fence is going to be part of the equation. There's no fence or barrier that we could make, but we could just make it, um, no, a non-permit zone to make it more difficult for people to go out there. Uh, that's what I'm referring to. Not not trying yeah. to actually contain, but trying yeah. to contain humanity, not contain a different species. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, my take is they're they're doing well. Well, I guess they're doing okay on their own, being that there's more less and less space, but still, they're they're doing pretty well. And I, I think kind of like leaving them alone is probably for them, the best thing for them. Absolutely. Rather than, you know, more groups out there trying to, you know, get a look at, there's already obviously a, a, a lot of groups that, that, that go out to just try to see them. But the, the amount of groups hunting them, I've heard Matt Knapp, our new cabbie said this less than like half a dozen or less. So, but there would be more, I would assume if, if, you know what I mean? <laughs> that 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 would try to try to get one. 
um, be the first one to bring one in. TJ uh, Allard said on our show the other night, if you bring me one of those, I will make you famous. He repeated it like three times. He goes, you bring me a body, I'll make, and those people are going to be out there. So, yeah. <laughs> That's you, why 2,000 people show up to a conference. Exa- yeah, exactly. Well, I think a lot of those people really are just uh, fascinated with it. Uh, if only Bigfoot could get some of the licensing on all their, their, <laughs> all their royalties. Oh uh, yeah, royalties on all the materials that that have their likeness. It would be fantastic. Uh, but then again, they don't really have a value for money. They have a value for food. So, um, but uh, do you have any final thoughts, Dan? Before we check out. Uh, not not too many thoughts, but I did just want to tell people that I recorded a lot of my trip to Washington, and I'm, I'm compiling the clips right now and adding some narration uh, along with some analysis of the hearing as well. So uh, be looking out for that because I'm going to release that in the next few days, hopefully, if I can get it edited down. Uh, this is a bigger project that I'm used to. It's I'm calling it a mini documentary, so we'll see how it goes. And... Um, uh, so be on the lookout for that and hit me up on Twitter at Hey Look Over There. Yeah, so Dan's contact info is on the screen. It will also be in the show notes uh, of the show. Looks like the fifth p- uh, pillar of emphasis at Gmail. And then, uh, wow, 760 UFO chat. Uh, yeah, I've, I've left that lapse, unfortunately. Like, um, my, oh. I need to erase that uh, phone number. I, it closed down on me because of inactivity. Okay. But uh, but they can still get you here, TikTok and Twitter. And yeah. man, man, I can't thank you enough, Dan. Every time talking to you is just an amazing thing. We want to schedule another Ancient Structures with you and Dave Smethurst. Um, and really, I just appreciate your time, brother. Thank All you. right, man. Thank you for having me. All right. For Julie. Thank you, Jules. For Julie. For Dan. This is DJ saying peace out. One love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, as cabbies and friends, we're always wondering what's up around the bend.